welcome to another episode of our NCLEX review series. In this podcast, we continue to bring you valuable materials to help you prepare for your exam. Enjoy. All right, now Cushing syndrome or Cushing's disease. And once again, the picture of that man just popped in your mind, didn't it? Remember the man in the book? Yes. It's been the same man since I was in nursing school. Must be the only man that ever had Cushing's and they took his picture. Now, let's look on board, y'all. If you see Cushing's, just think Cushing's, period. They're not going to get specific as to which type it is, syndrome or disease, but sometimes people will ask questions about that. Cushing's, at the top of your page, write this down. Too many steroids. Too many steroids. That's what you need to remember when you see the word Cushing's. All right, so let's look at our handout now. Cushing syndrome can be from exogenous administration. In other words, someone who is taking steroids for the treatment of asthma, COPD, autoimmune disorders, organ transplants, chemo, allergic responses. These patients could receive too many steroids as a part of the treatment and develop Cushing syndrome. You take steroids long enough... And you're going to get Cushing's, okay? That's just part of it. Cushing's disease would be endogenous. In other words, you've got like a tumor inside your body that's producing too much of this. All right. Next statement says, these patients have too many glucocorticoids, menylocorticoids, or sex hormones. In other words, too many steroids. And notice we've got the symptoms grouped in three different groups for you. One set of symptoms is due to having too many glucose. Another is because you got too many mineral loads. And then the other one's because you got too many sex hormones. First group, glucocorticoids. Second, sex hormones. And then last, that's your mineral corticoid. Now let's go back up to the glucocorticoids. Notice that it says growth arrest, thin extremities. That's because we said earlier that steroids, we said that there were four major actions of glucocorticoids. And one of those actions were that it made you break down protein and fat. Steroids make you break down protein and fat. So that's why those two symptoms are occurring. That's why people with Cushing's have skinny arms and legs because they're breaking down protein and fat out here. Yes, they have abnormal fat distribution in the abdomen, okay, but they're breaking down protein and fat out here. That's why when you put children on steroids, they typically have growth problems because they're breaking down protein and fat. All right, the next thing says increased risk for infection because we've already said that steroids do what to your immune system? Suppress immune system. Suppress the immune system. We know about hyperglycemia because we've already said that steroids make your blood sugar go up. That's just the way it is because insulin has been inhibited. And then psychosis to depression because can steroids affect your mood? 
Yes. All right. Then we have, as far as the sex hormone deal, oily skin, possibly acne, women with male traits. The voice in a, in a female, this is where you, where you see it predominantly is in females. The voice may deepen. They may start growing a beard. Breast may atrophy, that sort of thing. Poor sex drive, libido. You would think if you had too many sex hormones, your libido would be increased. But it's just the opposite, and I have the reason there for you on your handout. Now, what's the major mineral ocorticoid that we've talked about for two days in a row? Aldosterone. Aldosterone makes you retain what? Sodium and water. So, therefore, you've got somebody who's going to be in a fluid volume excess. So, look at your signs and symptoms there. High blood pressure, CHF, weight gain, moon face. Now, that can be because of problems with fat distribution or fluid retention, truncal obesity, buffalo hump. Now, since this patient has too much mineral ocorticoid, the serum potassium will be low. Because we've already said when you retain sodium in water, you lose potassium. If you did a 24-hour urine on this patient, the cortisol levels would be what? What you think? High. Because cortisol is just a fancy word for what? Steroids. And cushies is when you have too many steroids. They may need an adrenalectomy. Now, when someone is having an adrenalectomy... They may, it may be unilateral or it may be bilateral. It just depends. You see, if they take out one of your adrenal glands, are you going to be making as many steroids as you used to? No, you can't. It's gone. It's in the incinerator, right? Right. So if you have, all, if you have both taken out, you're going to have to have lifetime replacement of steroids because can you live without steroids? Uh-uh. you got to have them. A quiet environment. Y'all, anytime you've got somebody whose steroids are messed up, just a general concept, if their steroids are messed up, they can't handle any stress at all. Bad things physiologically can start happening to them if they get too stressed out. And then what does the patient need in their diet? Okay. What do we need to do with their potassium? Increase it. Sodium, decrease it. Protein, increase it. Calcium, did you like the little hint out to the side? <laughs> yes, increase the calcium. Because we learned yesterday that steroids make you excrete calcium through your GI tract. Now, we've got to talk about this for a second. All right, so you're, let's say I take steroids. Once again, let's use, let's use the example because I have rheumatoid arthritis, okay? Well, I take my steroid today, my prednisone, and we've already, I'm, I'm focusing on calcium now. It is going to make me excrete calcium through my GI tract, right? That's just a side effect of the drug. So, therefore, my serum calcium is going to go... Damn, but I've got a way to fix that, don't I? I just go to my bones and pull some from the bone and put it back in my 
blood, therefore the serum calcium just went back up. Okay. Till tomorrow when I take another prednisone, right? And what's going to happen again? I'm going to excrete it and then I'm going to pull it from my bones. Therefore, the moral to the story is when you're on steroids, what kind of bones do you have? Brittle, brittle, brittle. These are the people that you'll see who will sneeze one day and break three ribs. Or you will um, be doing CPR one day on somebody who's been on steroids. And every time you compress the chest, what do you hear? Those ribs snapping. That's just the way it is. You've got to be so careful with their bones. Avoid infection, of course, because we already know that their immune system is very suppressed. And then what might appear in their urine? Glucose, ketones, protein. I heard three answers. I heard glucose, ketones, protein. Which answer is wrong? That's, those are, it doesn't matter where I go across the country. That's the top three answers I get. Glucose, ketones, protein. Ke glucose, ketones, protein. Now, protein is wrong. Why? I know what you're thinking. Well, we're breaking it down. But the only time you have proteinuria is when you have glomerular damage. Have we even said glomerular since we started this class? <laughs> I don't think we have, but maybe so. Yesterday, okay, we've said it one time. All right. This person, unless the test question says they have glomerular damage, you're not going to see the proteinuria. But those are the most common answers we get. Glucose we understand because the blood sugar's going up and we're going to spill the excess over into the urine and ketones because they're breaking down what? Fat. They break down. Steroids make you break down protein and fat. So that means you're going to require insulin, right? The patient's going to have to have insulin. Usually starts in childhood, and the sign first... may be DKA, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. You may not even know you ever had a blood sugar problem until you wind up in the ER being diagnosed with DKA. Now, let's look at our patho. You have to have insulin to carry glucose out of the vascular space over to the cell. Do we all agree with that? Okay. But since there is no insulin, the glucose just builds up in the vascular space. The cells are starving, so they start breaking down protein and fat for energy because your body's going to get energy from somewhere, isn't it? And when you break down fat, you get what? Ketones. You get ketones, which are just acids. So now this patient is acidotic. Is it respiratory or metabolic? Yes, it's metabolic acidosis. Metabolic acidosis. So let me ask you a question. Who's going to compensate? The lungs are going to compensate. And what's the name of that respiration they're going to get? They're going to start kusmaling, aren't they? And you know a kusmal is an increase in the rate and the depth of respiration. Rate and depth. Because what is the patient trying to blow off? CO2. All right. So... Anytime your blood sugar gets too high, you're going to get the three P's, aren't you? Polyuria, polydipsia, polyphasia. Polyuria with accompanying weight loss is going to occur. When your blood sugar is really, really, really high, your kidneys want to help, right? 
What do they want to help you do? Excrete the sugar particles. But we all agreed yesterday you couldn't just excrete a sugar particle, right? That it had to go out in volume. So you develop polyuria because you're trying to get rid of all the blood sugar, excess blood sugar. But in the process of getting rid of the sugar particles, are we losing volume too? Yes, so polyuria can lead to what? Shock. Think shock here. When DKA people, and you're going to talk more about this in a little bit, come to the hospital, they're just about always in shock. Polydipsia is thirst. Well, they've lost so much volume, right? And polyphasia, hunger. Their brain cells are so hungry because can the glucose get into the cell? No. And even if they eat more right now, is it going to do them any good? No, because they still do not have any what? Insulin to do what? Carry the glucose where? Into the cell. Will oral hypoglycemia agents such as glucagon, myconase, or diabeta work in this patient? No. You've got to have insulin, right? You've got to have the insulin. And for those of you that want an in-depth analysis of every type of insulin in the whole wide world just about, on the next page you have it, okay? So I'll let you study that on your own one day. You do not have to memorize that for NCLEX. Now let's look at type 2. These people don't have enough what? Insulin or the insulin they have is no good. So I have to ask you something. Is this person's pancreas still working a little bit? Yes. It's still working a little bit. In the other type, it's not working at all. All right. These patients are usually overweight, and they can't make enough insulin to keep up with the glucose load the patient is taking in. This type of diabetes is not as abrupt as type 1. Hey, when you wake up in the ER with polyuria, polydipsia, polyphagia, and DKA, that's pretty abrupt, right? Yes, this is the sneaky one. It's usually found by accident, like you're having a routine physical, maybe. Or the patient keeps coming back to the doctor for things like a wound that won't heal or repeated vaginal infections. Why do these people have trouble with wound healing and repeated infections? They're full of sugar, and who likes sugar? Bacteria. Bacteria thrive in this environment. Treatment. Start with diet and exercise, and then you add oral agents if that doesn't work. You see, in some people, they just need a little control. Diet and exercise will work for some people. Then we add the oral agents, and then what we're trying to avoid but may have to add insulin. All right, let's look at the general treatment now. The majority of the calories should come from complex carb, then fat, then protein. Okay? Now, noticing, notice something here. The main thing I want you to get from that statement is that we are limiting protein somewhat, aren't we? Well, why are we doing that? Because diabetics tend to have renal disease. And we all know that a general rule to follow is when there is renal disease present, you limit protein. Why are diabetics prone to coronary artery disease? Because sugar destroys vessels just like fat. 
we all understand a high-fat diet and how that affects all our arteries and arterioles and that sort of thing. Sugar does the same thing. So see, when you have a diabetic, they really have to not only watch their glucose levels, but also their cholesterol and triglycerides and all that as well because they've got two things attacking their vessels. Two things attacking their vessels. All right, a high-fiber diet is good for this person or for anybody for that matter because it keeps the blood sugar steady. They may even get to decrease their insulin, okay? Now, think about that. When you go out and we eat the typical fast food lunch, what is going to happen to most of our blood sugars? Shoot up really, really high, and then what's going to happen? Drop out the bottom, okay? So you've got extremes with the typical American diet. Extremes equal vascular damage. That's just the way it is. Extremes equal vascular damage. Whereas a high-fiber diet keeps everything kind of steady. You don't get those extremes. All right, we're going to wait until the blood sugar normalizes to begin to exercise. You don't want somebody starting an exercise program when their blood sugar is not stable yet, okay? And what should the patient do pre-exercise to prevent hypoglycemia? They need to eat something. Eat a fruit, drink some milk, something like that. Exercise when blood sugar is at its highest or lowest? Highest. It just wouldn't be smart to go running with your low blood sugar, now would it? No, because where are you going to wind up? In the ditch somewhere with everybody looking for you and you passed out? Exercise the same time and amount daily? And how do oral hypoglycemic agents work? What's the magic word? Stimulate. Stimulate pancreas to make insulin. That's the way the majority of them work. But, of course, you see we have an asterisk under there to confuse you. Okay? As a rule, if a brand-new nurse needs to know that they stimulate. That's the way the bulk of them work. That's what I would know for boards. Okay. Now, how is the insulin dose determined? Well, the dose is increased until the blood sugar is normal and until there's no more glucose or ketones in the urine. Regular's clear. MPH is cloudy. Which one do you draw up first? That's right. Clear. And what's the only type of insulin you can give IV? Okay, the clear, the regular. And then we have the hemoglobin A1C. It's an important blood test. It gives an average of what your blood sugar has been over the past three months. That's how the doctor can tell if you're telling a story about your blood sugars you wrote up this morning on a piece of paper to take to the doctor, right? Because they're going to get your A1C and see if you're telling the truth or not. All right. Patients should eat when insulin is at its peak. Now think about that. When insulin is at its peak, that means that's when it's working the hardest, right? And when it's working the hardest, that means that's when your blood sugar will be at its lowest. So I better hurry up and get them something to eat to prevent hypoglycemia. Now, what happens to your blood sugar when you're sick or stressed, what happens? It goes up. 
That's a normal compensatory mechanism, right? It says the normal pancreas can handle these fluctuations. An increase in the blood sugar when sick or stressed is a normal reaction to help us fight illness or stressor. But when you're talking about a diabetic, are you talking about a normal pancreas? No, it's not a normal pancreas. That's why when the diabetic gets sick, they be- I don't care if it's strep throat or a GI bug or whatever it is, they better start watching their blood sugar really, really, really closely because their blood sugar is going to go up just like mine and yours would, but they've got to do what to their insulin dose? Increase the dose. If they don't increase the dose, what major complication are they headed towards? DKA. Illness equal DKA. All right, rotation of sites. Rotate within an area first. Rotate within an area first. Now, what, what that means is this. You know, we're talking perfect textbook, the textbook world here, okay? The patient is supposed to say, this week I'm using my left arm, and I'm going to use up every side in this arm, and then I'm not going to use that arm anymore for four more weeks. Why? Because I want to give this tissue time to do what? Heal. If you're just giving shots to yourself at random, does the tissue ever get well completely? No. And that's when you're going to start having all the scar tissue, connective tissue. Your teacher probably called it lipodystrophy. And then when that happens, what just happened to your insulin absorption? Decreased. If I'm a diabetic, I have a chronic condition, don't I? I want to save and conserve sites for a long, 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 long time. And have y'all heard the latest study on giving insulin shots at home? Well, you don't have, they don't, they're, not in, they're not telling people that they have to use sterile. This is not NCLEXI, what I'm telling you, okay? They don't have to use sterile technique anymore. They, they're telling them you can give it straight through the clothes now. Because the bacteria count at home is your bacteria. So, Dr. Isidore Rosenfeld, Fox News Sunday, Okay. Now, like I said, that's not inclexy. We're not going to pick, give it through the clothes at the hospital, okay? Okay. All right. Do we aspirate insulin? No. You know, used to, they used to always aspirate insulin, okay? But, you know, there's so much tissue trauma every time you aspirate, and we don't want more tissue trauma. They've got enough tissue trauma. Okay, the only time I would ever aspirate is if you had somebody that was so, 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 so skinny, okay, that you weren't, that had any, they didn't have any sub-Q tissue at all, sub-Q fat, then you may want to do it then, but for boards, you don't have to aspirate insulin, and what's that other drug we do not have to aspirate? Okay, Lovenox or heparin, okay, too much tissue trauma, all right, now, You probably wrote down things like shaky, nervous, jittery, increased pulse, nausea, headache. That's the most common things that you see. Shaky, nervous, jittery, increased pulse, headache, nausea, confusion's another one. All right, that's just general signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia, right? Okay. Well, if the patient ever should start experiencing those symptoms, what should they do? Eat what? 
Simple sugar like candy. Why do we, why do we say simple sugar? We want them to get their blood sugar up really fast. Now, after the blood sugar is up, what should they do? Eat some more. But now what do they need to eat? Okay, a complex carb and a protein. Why? To sustain the blood sugar. To sustain the blood sugar. What if they just drank the Coke and didn't follow it up with the complex carb and protein? What's going to happen again? You're going to bottom out again. Every time a diabetic bottoms out, they lose a few brain cells. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Bad. That's what we're worried about. We need to save those brain cells. You enter a diabetic patient's room and they're unconscious. Do you treat this patient like he's hypo or hyperglycemic? Oh, yeah, hypo. Could it be hyper? Yeah, it could be hyper because you could have unconsciousness with either one. We don't know which one it is, but we have to assume the worst and pretend it's hypo because I'm most worried about what? Brain. Okay. You may need to get some D50. Okay. Or injectable glucagon. That's an IM. The D50 is IV push. Injectable glucagon, it says on your handout, it's an IM. Okay. Usually you get, you get the D50. So your patient wakes back up again, right? We've got our fingers and toes crossed. You get the D50 and they wake back up. Now what are you going to do for them? Ask your friend. Say, I'm glad you woke back up, bubba. Got to go home now. What you going to do now? Give them something to? Yeah, they've got to eat something to sustain that blood sugar because D50 and injectable glucagon, once again, those are temporary increases in the blood sugar. Those are temporary increases in the blood sugar. And prevention, eat, take insulin regularly, and snacks are very important. Y'all know those cute little snacks they send up to the floor all of a sudden at weird times of the day? All of a sudden, there's just a little snack sitting at the nurse's station. Who's supposed to get the snack? The patient, right? Yes. All right, let's look at complications. We've mentioned DKA several times, so now we're really going to get to talk about it. Anything that increases the blood sugar can throw a patient into this. Infection, illness, skipping insulin. You wouldn't think people would skip their insulin. It happens all the time, especially in adolescence. They learn how to throw themselves into DKA to stay out of school for a week. And so you wouldn't think people would do that, but it happens all the time. It may be the first sign of diabetes. And you have all the usual signs and symptoms of type 1 diabetes. Patho, there's not enough insulin, of course. The blood sugar goes sky high. So we get the polyuria, polydipsia, polyphasia, fat breakdown leading to acidosis. They start co-smiling. They're trying to compensate for that acidosis. And also, as the patient becomes more acidotic, the LOC is going to go down. So it's everything we've already mentioned earlier. It's just worse now, isn't it? Yes. We've got to find the cause. Hourly blood sugars and potassiums are going to be done. 
And the reason we're doing hourly blood sugars and potassiums is because we're giving IV insulin. IV insulin. Insulin decreases glucose and potassium. But by driving them out of the vascular space into the cell. You know, anytime you're given IV insulin, you better worry about hypoglycemia and hypokalemia, right? That's your two biggest worries with IV insulin. Hypoglycemia, hypokalemia. Well, now that you're messing around with somebody's serum potassium, do you see why you need to be, they need to be on a continuous EKG? Yes. Hourly outputs. Remember, this person's going to start out with polyuria. But is, are they going to stay polyuric? No, at some point they're going to switch from polyuria to oliguria, and it could go all the way to anuria. So are we worried about renal failure? Very worried about renal failure here. By the time you get the person to the ICU and you put a catheter in, there's a chance they may have zero urine output because of the anuria that's already occurring. We better watch the ABGs because which major acid-base imbalance are they in? Metabolic acidosis. Metabolic acidosis. All right, IV fluids, big, big, big. They're going to start with normal saline. Now, normal saline is what class of solution? It's isotonic. And we learned yesterday that isotonic solutions go in the vascular space and they... Stay there, and they build up, and they build up, and they build up, and they make your blood pressure come back up again. So is this a good thing or a bad thing for this person? It's a good thing. Y'all are like, I don't know. I ain't saying nothing, okay? It's a good thing. We want the blood pressure to come back up. Okay, now tell your friend why their blood pressure was even down to start with. Because they've lost so much volume from the polyuria, right? Okay. Now, then, when the blood sugar gets down to about 300, y'all, if it's getting down to 300, it must have been really high, huh? Yes. When it gets down to 300, we switch them to D5W to prevent throwing the patient into hypoglycemia. Because what are we still giving to the patient IV? Insulin. And that next dose of insulin at 300, that next dose of insulin could do what? Drop them out the bottom. And anticipate that the doctor will want us to add what to the IV solution at some point? Potassium. All right. The next thing, next complication we have is HHNK. HHNK is the most common used, commonly used name for this complication, okay? There's about 10 different names for HHNK, and we've got a couple of them listed for you on your handout. No matter what you get on the test question, you're going to recognize that it's HHNK, okay? Now, look at that name, hypertonic, excuse me, hyperosmolar hypoglycemic non-ketosis. Hyperosmolar hyperglycemic non-ketosis, okay? Here's the deal. It looks like DKA, but there's no what? There's no ketones, okay? Now, let's think about that for a second. You got a diabetic coming into the ER, and everybody's saying it's DKA, DKA. I just know it's DKA. 
And then when they draw the ABGs on them, are they acidotic? No, because they never broke down any what? No fat. They didn't break down the fat. If you're not breaking down the fat, you're not making any ketones, which are just acids, okay? This person is making just enough insulin so they are not breaking down body fat. Notice something. I said they're making just enough insulin. So therefore, this must be, as a rule, in general, anything's possible, but as in, in general, what type of diabetic is this? This is usually your type 2. Now, there are weird situations you can get in where you're getting combinations of DKA and HHNK. That's not NCLEXI for us. Worry about that later in the real world, okay? As a rule, it's the type 2 diabetic. All right, no fat breakdown, no ketones, no ketones, no acidosis. Will this patient have Kussmaul respirations? No. Why? Because they are not what? Acidotic. In the NCLEX world, type 1, DKA, type 2, HHNK. Other complications. If I had to pick the major complication a diabetic has... It would have to be the vascular problems because we've already said that excessive blood sugar will kill your vessels, right? And also high fat in your vessels. So they have two things attacking them. So vascular damage. And it can start at the eyes and go all the way to the toes and catch every organ in between, right? All right. Now, we'll develop poor circulation everywhere due to the vessel damage. Sugar irritates the vessel lining, and then accumulation of sugar will decrease the size of the vessel lumen, therefore decre decreasing blood flow. Diabetic retinopathy. Can this lead to blindness? Yes. Diabetics better be taking care of their eyes big time. Nephropathy. Kidney damage. That's a biggie. The kidneys are very vascular. So anywhere you've got a lot of vascularity, the diabetic's at risk. Neuropathy as well. Sugar kills nerves. Sugar kills nerves. So that's why the patient can wind up with sexual problems like impotency or decreased sensation. Foot and leg problems, pain, paresthesia, numbness. Cut those toenails how? Straight across. Do we cut them really short? You're not supposed to. Do they have to wear shoes all the time? Yes. Do they have to be good shoes? Yes. Well-fitting shoes, right? Do they need to soak their feet for long periods of time? No. Do they have to dry well between the toes? Yes, because what likes to live in there? Bacteria love it between your toes. Do they need to inspect their feet every day or once a week? Every day. Okay. What if they can't pick their foot up and look underneath? What could they use? A mirror or a good friend, right? Yes. All right, those are the basics. No harsh chemicals on the feet. No harsh chemicals on the feet. You know, there's a lot of elderly people out there that use methylate for everything. You ever seen methylate in your granny's cabinet? The orange, fluorescent orange solution they put on everything? Or alcohol? 
I know my granny put aloe vera, alcohol, and dial soap on everything, okay? And if, have you ever been to the nursing home after the foot doctor's been there? All the patients are lined up in the hall in their wheelchair and their feet are fluorescent orange from all the methylate they put on. It's not pretty. All right, other things. Neurogenic bladder. The bladder does not empty properly. The bladder may empty spontaneous. That would not be fun, okay? Or may not empty at all. I don't know which one I'd rather have, okay? And then gastroparesis. The stomach empty, when stomach emptying is delayed, so there's an increased risk for aspiration. Now tell me why the diabetic has an increased risk for infection. What are they full of? Sugar. Who likes sugar? That's right. Bacteria love sugar. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and leave a rating. We wish you all the best in the coming examination. See you next time.